Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I want to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And if you're able to stand with me, please do so for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here is God's Word. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up to heaven after He had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. To these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, you heard of from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. We've been working through a series, as you know, over the summer titled A Mission-Focused Church. And the subtitle this morning for this morning's message is Unrivaled Power. Unrivaled Power. Power. You know, the last days of a person's life, I'm sure you would agree, are super important. More so, a person's final words before they depart are usually critical words to those who are there listening to them. Words that they want us to remember before they leave us. Over the years, several years ago in particular, I traveled a lot. And that was a privilege to be able to do that. And it was obviously bittersweet as I love to travel and go and train pastors and leaders in other countries and all of that. But it was always very difficult to leave my wife and kids and to say goodbye to my wife and kids. And so my last words to them were often choice words. In addition to expressing my love to them, I wanted to just leave them with those things that were super important, extra important for them to remember as I departed from them. And so final words are critical things. They reflect the the most urgent sentiments of our hearts toward those whom we love especially. And that's what we have here in Acts chapter 1, verses 1-11, through brethren. Here we have Jesus' final days and Jesus' final words to His beloved disciples, at least for until He returned, and by extension to His beloved church. I mean, you can imagine the weight of the responsibility that they feel as Jesus is about to depart. Not only are they feeling sorrow over the fact that He's going to leave them soon, but there's this added weight of the mission that they are going to have to fulfill in His absence. And He's been talking to them about this little by little throughout His ministry with them, but this is going to really be the capstone here where He charges them with what we call the Great Commission. But the beautiful thing that we see here in our text is that Jesus not only gave His disciples, and by extension us as His church, a glorious purpose, what we also see is that Jesus provided His church with unrivaled, mighty power to fulfill that glorious purpose of the Great Commission. How critical it is not only to be clear with someone about your expectations, 
about those things that you need them to accomplish, but also to equip them, right? To equip them, to give them the tools so that they might fulfill those expectations and those responsibilities. On the human level, we appreciate this, don't we? The best kinds of employers are those, a boss who not only tells you what he expects from you, but also provides or gives you the tools to accomplish that task. Those are the best kinds of people to work for, amen? Some of you have experienced that. Well, Christ, brethren, is the best of bosses. Christ is the best of lords. He's the only Lord. And as Lord of His church, what we see is that He not only told us what is expected of us, but He also gave us and fully provided the power, the unrivaled power that we need to accomplish this purpose. And of course, that, that enablement is not in ourselves. That mighty unrivaled power is in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Our precious Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. The third person of, the, of our triune God. And church, Eastridge, if you and I are going to fulfill our mission on earth of continuing the work that Jesus has left us to accomplish, listen, we need to be Spirit-dependent people. We need to be a Spirit-dependent church. One of the greatest hindrances to us walking faithfully before God, even in our own sanctification, in that ongoing pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus, one of the greatest hindrances of us failing to fulfill our mission here in this world is self-dependence, self-sufficiency. The moment that you and I walk believing even subtly, imperceptibly, that we are enough, that we, can, that we are self-sufficient, thinking that we ourselves can accomplish this without God, we will surely fail and we will surely give up and be deflated. Some of us have experienced that in our own Christian walk, haven't we? Where we become subtly, imperceptibly self-sufficient. And before we know it, we're not walking in dependence upon the Lord anymore. Thus, we need to be God-dependent people. We need to be a God-dependent church. We need to depend upon the Holy Spirit for divine enablement, for divine power and strength to accomplish our mission. This is what the disciples are going to undergo here. Instructions about even the Holy Spirit. Right? They're going to be commissioned here, but Jesus doesn't want them to forget who their strength is to be placed upon or is going to come from. He doesn't want them to forget about the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus modeled for them spirit dependence. Think about this. Jesus lived 30 plus years of a perfect, sinless life. He was the perfect and is the perfect God-man. How did He do it? In His own strength or by His own strength? Absolutely not. Yes, He is God. But Jesus modeled for His disciples spirit dependence. He lived as the God-man, fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit for everything. They are to be doing the same here in this text. As the church is birthed and as they begin to carry out their mission as a church. And brethren, we are to do the same thing. We are to be spirit-dependent and people. And so we need some encouragement and motivation to fulfill our Christian walk and our mission. And I want us to really look this morning at three characteristics of the Holy Spirit 
which are going to motivate us and encourage us both in our Christian walk, in our own sanctification, and in our mission as individuals and collectively as a church. First of all, I want us to see as you're taking notes that the Holy Spirit is the promised one. He's the promised one. Look at verse 4. Jesus reminds His disciples of this. Gathering them together, verse 4, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, you heard of from Me. We saw last week in verse 3 that post His resurrection, Jesus intermittently for a period of 40 days off and on was meeting with His disciples. He was spending time with His disciples. He ate with His disciples. He was instructing His disciples all with the distinct purpose, brethren, that they would be convinced of His resurrection. They would face a lot of opposition. They would face a lot of pushback for the Gospel that they would be proclaiming. They needed to be convinced of a compelling, risen Jesus so that they would not lose heart in the face of that opposition that they were were going to face. But before they are to continue His mission, He says to them, you need to wait. Wait for what? Wait for what the Father had promised. Well, what had the Father promised? And to see this, you'll need to turn with me to John chapter 15. Go there with me. John chapter 15. Great text of Scripture. You know it well. The setting is the upper room. Jesus and His disciples. He's giving them a pep talk here as they begin, understandably so, to feel the weight of the moment of His departure and the fact that they were going to be fulfilling this mission. And so they need encouragement and He gives it to them. Look at John chapter 15 and verse 26. He says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit with a capital S of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. And you will testify also, because you have been with Me from the beginning. He speaks to them in verse 26 of, of the Helper with a capital H. And so upon Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father, He's saying the Father is going to commission the Holy Spirit to come and to be your Helper. Literally, your parakletos. One called alongside of you to encourage you and to convict you and to guide you and to lead you. He's going to talk about this. Drop down to chapter 16 of John here in verse 5. Still in the upper room, but now Jesus speaking, I am going to Him who sent Me to the Father, and none of you asks Me, where are you going? But because I have said these these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the, the Helper, the Perikletos, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And He, the Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see Me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose it to you to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, verse 14, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, you're not going to be left alone. 
Jesus is instructing His disciples here, but He's more than that encouraging them. He's comforting them. They need that comfort. They need that encouragement because they are sorrowful and full of fear. And He says, don't be troubled. I'm going to send to you the promised Helper. He's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of the things that I've taught you. He's going to intercede on your behalf. He's going to encourage you. He's going to comfort you. What a breath of fresh air that must have been for the disciples. Amen? Even if they didn't fully understand and wax uh, and, and all the intricacies of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what comfort and encouragement that must have been to them. And especially note verse 14 with me. Verse 14, he says, He, the Holy Spirit, mark it, will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will come to glorify Christ. For He, the Holy Spirit, will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Brethren, don't miss this here. Don't miss this. The promised Holy Spirit's fundamental mission is not to bring attention to Himself contra what our charismatic friends tend to emphasize. That's not the central mission of the Holy Spirit. Rather, the Holy Spirit's fundamental mission is to bring attention to the Son. To accentuate and to highlight the Son. To bring light to the Son. To exalt the Son. To make much of the Son in the hearts of spiritually dead people. This is the promised Holy Spirit's central mission. Verse 14, He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and He will disclose it to you. His central mission is to make much of Jesus. In fact, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just a few pages forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians 4 really um, describe our world. Verse 3, and even if our gospel, Paul speaking here, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in whose case, the perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see that? That pretty much describes our society right there. People are blind, and they're not just blind, but they are blind to the glory of Christ. The manifestation of sin, the manifestation of corrupt words, the exploitation of one another, all the wickedness that you see in society, brethren, at the core of what's happening is people are blinded to the beauty and the glory of Christ, and they love their sin more than they love Christ, right? That's the... That's the description in verses 3-4 to four of the world. People's eyes are blind to the glory of Christ. But then look at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the One who has shown in our hearts, listen to this, brethren, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see that? You ought to underline that text for your own edification and for your own meditation on a continual basis. In conversion, all of a sudden, Jesus becomes precious. And what this text is saying to us is, you want to see God? Look at Christ. Christ has revealed God to us. 
And when conversion happens in the heart of a person, of a spiritually dead sinner, you begin to hate your sin and you savor the Savior, right? Isn't that what happened in your conversion? This is the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit's central mission is to show us Christ. This is why the promised Holy Spirit primarily came, brethren. In fact, this is the whole point of 2 Corinthians 3, the previous chapter of our text there which speaks of the, the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit whereby the Holy Spirit now works in us to reveal Christ to us. Beautiful, beautiful. And so note, the central mission of the promised Holy Spirit is to exalt Christ in the hearts of spiritually dead sinners. That is conversion. And to exalt Christ, make much of Jesus in the hearts of spiritually awakened Christians like us on a continual basis in our sanctification, so that all of life then becomes about exalting Christ, becomes about making much of Jesus, right? Like John the Baptist said, He, Christ, must increase and I must what? Decrease. That's the Christian life as we continue to behold Jesus. This is the promised Holy Spirit's central mission on earth. And listen to me, if He hadn't come in fulfillment of the promise of the Father, none of that enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment and awakening would be possible. Aren't you thankful that God kept His promise, brethren, to send the Holy Spirit in a new way to live in us? I'm so grateful. He is our dependence. He is the one in whose power we are able to fulfill our mission. He's the promised one. He's the guaranteed down payment of our sure salvation, brethren. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, we read these words, In Him, in Christ, you also, believer, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, listen to this, you were sealed in Him, in the Holy Spirit, with the, or in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. He's, our, he's a pledge. That He's a pledge means that He is the, the down payment of our sure and certain salvation. This is why as believers, we, we believe that we cannot lose our salvation. Because the promised Holy Spirit seals us, secures us, sustains us, protects our souls in Christ. Once saved, always saved, if you're truly saved. Thus, we cannot lose our salvation. The Holy Spirit is our, the down payment of God's sure and certain salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and listen to this, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, that is not liable to decay, and, and undefiled, that is unpolluted or unstained by evil, and will not fade away, that means it won't die like the flower of the field, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God for His salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Boy, that's faith strengthening, isn't it? The Spirit of God is the one who empowers us to live the Christian life and who seals us and who is the sure and certain salvation that we have. Our salvation, our inheritance is protected by God through the promised Holy Spirit who lives and resides in us, brethren. We should thank God for that. 
which leads us to the second characteristic of the Holy Spirit that should encourage and motivate us in our Christian walk and mission. Ready? Not only is the Holy Spirit the promised one, but He's also personal. He's also personal. Verse 5. Look there. For John baptized with water, Jesus says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is referencing there two different kinds of baptisms, right? In verse 5, there was John the Baptist's baptism, which at the time was a physical and public water baptism symbolizing repentance and the nation's return back to God, their preparation for the Messiah who had arrived. But then there's the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is intimate, which is personal. This is, this is baptism by immersion, and this is a, there's a spiritual nature, or it's a spiritual in nature, this particular baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's act whereby He places the believer into the body of Christ, into the church. We are brought into union with Christ and union with other people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, but aren't these already disciples of Jesus in this particular context? In what sense are they to be future baptized with the Holy Spirit? What's going on here? Well, that's a fair question. And the answer, brethren, is this. That Acts is a unique transitional book in the redemptive plan of God. You know this. There are some unrepeatable events which happen in the book of Acts. As the church is birthed and as the church unfolds and carries out her mission, there are some unrepeatable events which signify the inauguration of the new covenant. And at the top of the list of the inauguration of the new covenant is the fact that the Holy Spirit will now come in a new and unique way. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been at work. Amen? The very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit is said to have been hovering over the surface of the waters. He was active in creation, the Holy Spirit. And then throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was alive and, and active and at work. The Holy Spirit has always been at work. But now as the new covenant is inaugurated, His ministry takes a different shape, if you will. Whereas before, the Holy Spirit was commissioned by God to empower specific individuals for a specific task, for a specific time. We see this throughout the Old Testament, don't we? In the case of Saul, who was uh, uh, specifically empowered for a period of time to carry out certain responsibilities, and then he failed, and the Holy Spirit left him. And then there were the builders of the temple who were empowered, and the artisans were empowered by the Spirit of God to carry out a particular task for a particular time. That was the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. He was alive and well and active. But now, as the new covenant is being inaugurated, the Holy Spirit comes to minister to God in a new, to God's people in a new way. How? By indwelling them. By indwelling us who've trusted in Christ. He lives now in us, doesn't He? And this is a permanent indwelling. He doesn't leave us as now the new covenant has been inaugurated. This is a complete indwelling, by the way. And that's important. That it's a complete indwelling by a person. We don't believe that biblical Christianity or God's Word teaches a, a sort of second blessing where we sort of receive a, a, the Holy Spirit in subsequent doses 
when we get sort of a spiritual high in the Christian life, as if the Holy Spirit were some liquid or gaseous substance. We don't believe in that. The Holy Spirit is a person who has received fully into your heart and life upon conversion. Amen? In fact, He is the one that makes conversion possible because spiritually dead sinners can't respond to the Gospel call. The Spirit of God is the one who awakens spiritually dead sinners to the beauty of Christ. Amen? So the Holy Spirit is not a material substance or an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person who is intimately personal with the believer. He now comes to indwell and resides in the believer. Write this verse down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized believers into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And then Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he does not belong to Him. He does not belong to Christ. The Spirit is a person who comes to indwell us at salvation. In fact, listen to me. Biblical Christianity, brethren, teaches and affirms biblically both the unity of God and the diversity of the triune God. Two twin pillars. The unity of God and the diversity of our triune God. Unity means that there is one and only one true God. That is unity. That's one non-negotiable pillar, if you will, of an orthodox belief and affirmation of the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is one. There aren't three gods. We worship one God. But then there's also a second pillar, and that is diversity. The diversity of the one and true God. The second pillar is that the triune God has eternally existed as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons. Three members of the triune God. All three persons are equal and fully God. All three persons are co-eternal. All three persons are co-equal in their divine perfections, in their attributes, and in their nature. All of them are co-sharers of the essence of God and deity equally across the board. And so we have a God who is tri-personal, if you will. Tri-personal. And when it comes to the precious Holy Spirit, He's a person. He's a person. He can be grieved, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. He has a mind of His own. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. He can be lied to. Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. You remember the text of Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that? And what they're told? You have not lied to, to men, but to God, speaking of the Holy Spirit in that context. Explicitly. He's referred to as God, but He can be lied to as well. He's a person, the Holy Spirit. He can be insulted. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. On and on, the personal reality of the Holy Spirit is taught in Scripture. He is a person. He's personal, brethren. And He's come to minister to us as believers, to teach us and to remind us of God's Word, to comfort us on a daily basis and to strengthen us and to encourage us in the toughest moments of life. There's an ongoing relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, and we should be so thankful for that. And so Jesus says here, you're not ready to go until the person of the Holy Spirit comes in a new way to inaugurate the new covenant here. 
until he comes to personally live in you and to place you into the church, until he comes to empower you for my work, you're not ready. And that's our third point. That's the third characteristic of the Holy Spirit that should motivate and encourage you and I. Write this down. He's powerful. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Drop down to verse 8. We'll cover the verses before that next week. But verse 8, but you will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And once that happens, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, that is local outreach there, and in all Judea and Samaria, that is regional outreach, and even to the remotest part of the earth, that is global outreach. In other words, you're going to be my witnesses, but you can't do this alone. You can't do this by trusting in yourself. You cannot rely upon your own strength, apostles. Boy, that must have been so humbling, right? I mean, by Jesus, we've been with you for three plus years. We went to Christ's seminary. We taught, we, you taught us. You even gave us power at different points in time to be able to do miracles and to cast out demons. We did all of this. Aren't we ready? No, you're not ready. You need divine empowering. You need strength because you're weak. Because you're feeble. Interesting word there in verse 8 that you're familiar, excuse me, familiar with. That word translated power is the word dunamis. Dunamis in verse 8. That's the word from which we get our English word dynamite. Dynamite. It's also used in Luke chapter 4 in verse 14 where it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power, dunamis, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the major emphasis here and throughout the book of Acts, as you survey the book of Acts, in some 60 plus references, brethren, to the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit would arrive and He's the one who provides divine strengthening for the mission of the church. Otherwise, there is no new belief in Christ. There is no spiritual awakening. Nothing happens without the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Listen, that goes for us too. As we were saying last week, we've been called to continue Christ's mission here on the earth. But brethren, in and of ourselves, the reality of it is, is that we are inadequate for this mission. We can't do this on our own. I hope that you feel the weight of that every week. I did this week, so I'm studying through this text. Remember, the reason why we can be pinpointed in application is because the Holy Spirit is tearing me apart, spiritually speaking, in private. That's the way that it should be, right? But I felt a sense of inadequacy. You look at our country and you look at the Pacific Northwest and you look at the darkness around us, there's nothing we can do to change this, brethren. Nothing. Our job is to simply be faithful to the proclamation of the gospel and the Holy Spirit thunderously and definitively does the work in the hearts of spiritually dead sinners. Amen? We've seen that in our lives and we've seen that in the lives of others. How they're no longer the same person that they used to be. And you're no longer the same person that you used to be. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has applied the Word to your heart so that you see the beauty of Christ all the more and live out the implications and obedience and love and service because you see Christ for who He is. We're inadequate. We cannot do this on our own. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, Not by might nor by power, humanly speaking, but by my Spirit, with a capital S, says the Lord. It's not based upon human ingenuity, based upon human ability. 
It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. It doesn't matter how mature you are, genuinely speaking. Only God can do the work that God has called you to do in the hearts of other people. Amen? We need Him. We need Him. We need power from on high. We need spiritual resources to do spiritual work, brethren. And the, and the good news, according to our text, is that God has not only given us a mission to fulfill, but He's provided the unrivaled power to accomplish that work, and that is His Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And because He is God, He is unrivaled in power. Amen? He is the unstoppable Holy Spirit by means of His Word as He uses us. This should strengthen our resolve. It should bring a certain sense of tenacity and relentlessness to our service for Christ in this world, brethren, in the midst of all of our discouragement, that we can have divine enablement to engage our world with the truth. And that's why we're here. Once again, we are here to make sure that we bring the truth to bear to a wicked and perverse culture that desperately needs to hear about the hope of Jesus. But they need to see their sin first if they're going to savor the Savior. Amen? Now, how we do this, how we engage the world for Christ is also important. We need to do it in the right manner. We don't fight fire with fire or hostility with hostility or hatred with hatred or self-righteously pointing our finger at others as if we were not visited by the grace of God at one point in time in our lives. God wants us to engage with, with the truth in love, in love, knowing that were it not for the grace of God, brethren, you and I wouldn't be here either. And so we accomplish this mission and we go boldly knowing that we're not alone. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. In that passage earlier in John chapter 15 and verse 26, Jesus said, but when the Helper comes, right, the one called alongside of you, the Perikletos, the Helper, whom I will send you from the Father, who is He, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Hey guys, it's not even about you. It's not even about you who will be the primary witnesses. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. He will bear witness about me. You see that? We are simply the means. We are the instrument that the Spirit of God uses to bring the truth to bear upon people. And so the Holy Spirit is active. We are not alone. He's the Spirit of truth, by the way, according to that text. He's the spirit of truth. Truth as opposed to falsehood. Truth as opposed to deception. Truth in the sense that he teaches us about reality, about how things really are in the world, in the world in which we live, of delusion and deception, of lies. He's the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit's empowering is the reason why we see God's manifesting such boldness, God's people manifesting such boldness and courage in the book of Acts. Just do a survey this week and note the, the boldness and the courage of common people made up of flesh and blood just like you and I, brethren. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, Peter preaches a, a thunderous, bold sermon, so much so that it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, that the people responded with great conviction. And it says this, Now when they heard this, Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Boy, what happened there? Same Peter. 
Same rebel, obstinate crowd and audience. What happened? I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit happened, right? The Holy Spirit came and was granting them boldness. Granting fickle Peter boldness and spiritual enlightenment to the hearers. This should be such a reminder again that our job is simply to be faithful with the gospel message, brethren. And leave the results to the Lord. Our job is to take every opportunity, every divine appointment. We ought to be praying every single day, Lord, send me some divine appointments. Rather, help me to be sensitive to the divine appointments that you have already put on my path. The people that you've already placed in my contexts of influence. Help me to be sensitive to those divine appointments. Help me to be faithful to your gospel message. Help me to be faithful to just being salt and light of a life lived with dignity and integrity because then when they ask me, why is it that you live your life that way? I can say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about who with a capital W has made the difference in my life. Well, brethren, our job is just to be faithful like Peter in Acts 2. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it's precisely because the Holy Spirit arrived that the apostles display such courage and, and boldness. And there, they're, they're threatened there not to preach anymore. And it says that they prayed and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. With what result? It says that they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Again, what happened? The Holy Spirit was with them is what happened. He indwelt them, re-energized them, granted them supernatural wits to proclaim the gospel message with grace and in power and with boldness to make a stand for Jesus. Same thing in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 when they stood before the wicked Jewish Sanhedrin having been told and forbidden not to preach. What was their response? We must obey God rather than men. You be the judge if we should listen to you or we should listen to God. If these things are true... The things concerning the person and the work of Jesus, we're going to listen to God. We're not going to listen to you. <laughs> what? I mean, this is the Jewish Sanhedrin for crying out loud. These are the same individuals who put Jesus on the, who are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. What are these guys thinking? Hello? Who are you talking to here, apostles? These guys can wipe you out, right? What's their response? What ifs? What ifs? Right? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and as a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. There's the personal conviction part that we talked about last week, right? They really believed in this. He, was a com he is a compelling Christ that they believed in. Otherwise, they don't say this kind of stuff to them. We are witnesses of these things concerning the person and the work of Jesus. And so is the Holy Spirit, they say. Uh-oh, watch out. You don't want some of this, guys. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. You see that? What boldness. Talk about Spirit-empowered courage from on high. Who are these guys? For they're the same men, brethren. Flesh and blood. They are human Flesh and blood, just like you and I, but now divinely empowered and enabled. Amen? See, it wasn't about the men. It wasn't about the women who were following Jesus. It was about the divine person working through these individuals who were weak and fallible, but saved by grace. And brethren, it's the same for you and I. The same Holy Spirit who indwelt them 
has indwelt you and I that we too may be courageous and be emboldened both in our sanctification before the Lord and in our mission to proclaim Christ in our God-given mission. So if today you think to yourself, man, this all sounds really good. I don't think that I can do this on my own. I don't know if I can do this. I'm weak. I'm inadequate. Preach it. Amen. That's actually a mark of God's grace that you feel that way. But can I encourage you, brethren, brother, sister in Christ, don't stay there. Don't be paralyzed by your sense of inadequacy and weakness and feebleness. Let that catapult you all the more to being a person who is dependent upon the Lord to carry out what God has called you to carry out. Amen? It should drive us to our knees in dependence. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Whenever I'm feeling the weight of inadequacy or weakness, I come back to this text in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It's worth you turning there if you can. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. This is after three chapters of expounding upon the power of God through the calling of the church. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Now to Him, speaking of Almighty God, Now to him who is able to to do, and now he's going to just pile on words to talk about the doing of God, the work of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I mean, he's just piling on words, isn't he? To accentuate the power of God. But then watch what he says. According to the power that works within us. (laughs) What? Did you catch it? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, believer. In other words, you have a measure of that same power to fulfill your mission, Christian. Of the infinite power of God. By means of who? By means of the Holy Spirit. You mean to tell me that I have at my disposal a measure of the power of God for ministry and life and service? Yes! You mean to tell me that I have at my disposal a measure of God's power for engaging opposition and persecution and indifference from people in the midst of me trying to live as salt and light in this world? Yes! You mean that I have at my disposal a measure of God's power so that I will be a loving, faithful husband and wife and father and mother and grandparent and single person living in contentment and serving Christ and churchman and neighbor and workman in the workplace? Yes! That's what I'm telling you right there. Actually, the text is telling you that, isn't he? Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to the power that works within us, within us, Brethren, God has not only given us a mission, He's given us divine empowerment, the unrivaled power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be courageous and bold in fulfilling our mission. The Holy Spirit is that unrivaled power. We have to remember to appropriate the spiritual resources at our disposal, right? Some of us live as spiritual paupers, poverty-stricken, Spiritually speaking, when we don't need to do that. At our disposal is the power and, uh, of the, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and everything that pertains to life and godliness. At our disposal. 
We have everything that we need to do what Christ has asked us to do. The question in the Christian life, brethren, whether in your sanctification and your overcoming sin by the grace of God or in your mission of sharing Jesus with people, the mission of the gospel is not this. Do I have the power to do what God has called me to do, to overcome my sin, to proclaim Christ to other people? Do I have the power to do it? That's not the question. The question is, am I plugging in to the divine power source? Am I plugging in to the spiritual resources, the infinite spiritual resources that God has given me by means of the Holy Spirit, His Word, the people of God? Right? That's the question. Surely this shows itself in a life of reliance upon God. If you're going to plug into the power source, are you daily living out and fleshing out dependence in prayer? in your life how is your prayer life this this morning not only public prayer but secret prayer as jesus describes in the sermon on the mount right secret closet prayer when no one is watching who you are in prayer before god brother or sister is who you really are and nothing more right any of us can put on a facade in the face of other people in front of other people put on an act but who we are in prayer before Almighty God in private when no one else is looking in the closet of your life, that's who you are. How is your prayer life? Surely, surely even plugging into the power source shows itself in a, in a life of regular, daily, steady diet of God's Word, right? Are you reading the Word of God? How is your daily Bible reading? We're now in mid-year, right? Many of us start off the year with all these lofty goals, even spiritually speaking, about reading the Bible or whatever. And then by the middle of the year, we're done, right? We're reading all kinds of other things, and the Bible's kind of been put on the back burner. How is your daily Bible reading? If you're going to plug in and be dependent upon God and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works through the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6. God's Word. Are you taking in a steady diet of God's Word, reading it, meditating upon it, memorizing it, brother, sister, applying the Word of God to your life? Surely also, this shows itself in a life of active involvement in the church. That also shows dependence. People who are not involved in the church, active participants, rather than passive spectators, People who are not involved in the church show that they are subtly, perhaps even imperceptibly, self-sufficient. That you can do this on your own. I don't need a small group. I don't need to be meeting with anyone one-on-one for discipleship. I don't need to be here beyond Sunday morning for the corporate worship service. I don't need this. You might not articulate that. Most of us wouldn't articulate it that way. But subtly, imperceptibly, that's what you're showing by your life. And so if you're going to plug into the divine power source, you need to be actively involved in the church. How is that going? It shows itself in a life of prayerful dependence each day as we go to work, each day as we engage our families. You mothers, you fathers, even in the context of the home, do you begin the day, Lord, wake up. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for allowing me to be able to open my eyes. Lord, help me today. Give me the grace that I need today to be a blessing to my family. Give me, the bless, give me the grace that I need today to be a blessing to my husband, to my wife, to my kids, young or older. Grandparents, give me the grace to be actively involved, to not just put things on the back burner because I'm in my latter years of life. Help me to remember that I'm in the prime years of my life where I have more time now to invest. Help me, Lord. Give me the grace that I need today. Do you live dependent like that? 
right? We need to plug into the divine power source. The Holy Spirit, His Word, the church, prayer continually. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for not only providing for us a clear mission, crystal clear, but also for giving us all that we need to accomplish Your mission. Especially, Lord, we pray that You would help us to be grateful people for the power that the Holy Spirit has brought to us. Father, we cannot do this on our own. We understand that both in salvation and in sanctification and that ongoing work that you're doing to conform us into the image of Christ. Lord, we need to be relying upon your Holy Spirit. Help us to do that. Help us to be God-dependent people. Help us to be known as a God-dependent church that we would, Lord, always be looking to you for divine strengthening and illumination and guidance in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.